Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Go For It. I am your host, Paul Gann, and for the next two hours, we will be talking sports and having fun doing it. I want all your ideas, all your opinions, and all your beliefs. And, of course, as always, you will get a heavy dose of my opinion. If you have an opinion, the number to call, 646-727-3070. That's 646-727-3070. You can listen to the show at blogtalkradio.com slash pgant. That's blogtalkradio.com slash pgant. You can send messages to the show on Twitter at GoForItGant, that's G-O-F-O-R-I-T-G-A-N-T. You can also send messages to the show at blogtalkradio.com slash pgan. And going back to Twitter, if you're there on Twitter, make sure you give me a follow at GoForItGant, G-O-F-O-R-I-T-G-A-N-T. Great show lined up for you today. Expected to be joined by one of the stars of the hit movie, Crazy, Sexy, Cool, which aired on VH1 on Monday. Drew Sedora, she's going to be joining us. She's going to talk to us about that big-time movie, the big-time ratings number. And, you know, everybody remembers TLC. Everybody remembers TLC. 20 years of TLC. I remember TLC back in the day. I mean, 1993, they came out. And, you know, 1993, I was in high school. And I remember TLC, Baby, 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 Creep Off, What About Your Friends. I mean, all those great hits. I mean, just the hits keep coming and keep coming. And, you know, I I definitely enjoyed listening to TLC and all their great, great hits. But we're going to talk to Drew Sedora about that great movie. I mean, it was a great movie, definitely a great movie. And you look at it, you look at it, when you you watch it, it takes you back to so many memories that you've, remembered it in their lives and just remembered in your own lives. That's the beauty of music. It takes you back to places that you once were and once and, and, and things that you once did and beliefs that you once had. I mean that's that that's the power of music. But we're gonna to talk to Drew Sedora about all those great things. Let's go to the World Series now. The World Series underway. Series tied at one. They're going back to St. Louis. One of the big headlines is Big Poppy, David Ortiz now, it's going to have to go from that comfortable position, that cozy position of DH, to putting on a glove and playing first base for the Boston Red Sox today. And, and you know, we'll see what happens. This is the thing that he's done six times this year. He played in six games as the first baseman. So he's been a DH for a long time, and a DH for a lot of games, I should say, this season for the Boston Red Sox. Big Poppy has done big things 
at the DH. And Big Poppy has done big things for the Red Sox in this particular World Series and throughout the course of these playoffs who can never, we can't forget game two against the Tigers with that grand slam. And then the other night when he hit a two-run shot off Michael Walker, ultimately they would lose game two. But again, again, you look at it, you look at it, and Big Poppy now is going to have to put that glove on. He's going to have to put the glove on. Hasn't played three games in a row. It's at first base since 2009, so four years. So there might be a level of rust, you know, having played three games in a row at first in four years, only played in the field six times this year. You might have some rust. And and then again now, with now Big Poppy having to go to the lineup, Mike Napoli goes to the bench. So you miss some of the things that he brings to the table, and he's brought a lot thus far. Had three RBI in game one against uh, the St. Louis Cardinals against. So, you know, you, you look at it, it's going to be an interesting situation. Now you, you go to this game coming up tonight back in St. Louis, a place the Cardinals have had a lot of success, 5-1 and one in this postseason. This Cardinal football, uh, baseball team now, you know, they're putting Joe Kelly out on the mound, Red Sox counter with Jake Peavy, and you look at it. These guys, this is an opportunity for runs to be scored. This is probably not going to be a pitcher's duel. Last time uh, Joe Kelly was on the mound for the Cardinals, four earned runs in five innings and a loss against the Dodgers. Last time Jake Peavy was on the mound for the Boston Red Sox, three innings, seven earned runs, and a loss to the Detroit Tigers. So there's going to be opportunities here for the hitters in this particular game. Don't be shocked if we have a little shootout tonight in St. Louis. Don't be shocked if you see a shootout tonight. How about Michael Walker in game two? And, and this guy, 4-0 and in the playoffs, 4-0 and in the playoffs thus far. I mean, he's been money, has beaten Clayton Kershaw twice throughout the course of these playoffs. I mean, he's been absolutely money for the St. Louis Cardinals throughout the course of these playoffs, just an unexpected hero for the Cardinals, and he has been that unexpected hero. He has been that unexpected hero for the St. Louis Cardinals, and he's been big time. He has been big time throughout the course of these playoffs, and he was big time again for the St. Louis Cardinals in game two, big time. Now the Cardinals go back to St. Louis Hey, I mean, if, if you know they've been dominant at home, five and one at home throughout the course of these playoffs. If they can handle their business at home, this thing doesn't return to Boston, and this series is over. But these three games, for the simple fact is that Boston now has to switch up their lineup a little bit. Boston now has to take out Mike Napoli, who has been big for them. And, of course, Big Poppy, you got to keep that bat in the lineup. So in order to do that, Poppy has to play first. That's going to be big tonight. I'm expecting a shootout tonight. Peavy hasn't been good. Kelly hasn't been good. Their last starts. So I think this is an opportunity for hitters to have some success tonight. Don't be surprised if there's a shootout tonight in the World Series. Don't be surprised. Don't be surprised. 
because you, you look at it, and again, there's going to be opportunities. There is going to be some opportunities for hitters tonight in St. Louis with these two guys on the map. There is going to be opportunity. There is going to be some serious opportunity. We looked at their last starts. We look at them now. I mean, both all one in these playoffs. Both. Four. You got Kelly over four. You got PV over eight. And, again, that's a one start. I mean, that's more than one start, but, I mean, that's – and these guys have not been doing – Big-time work. So there's going to be opportunities for hitters tonight. Over 8 ERA for Peavy, over 4 ERA for Kelly. Opportunities are going to be plentiful tonight for hitters. Maybe they bounce back. Maybe they bounce back, but I don't think so. This is going to be a crazy game tonight. I just got a feeling it's going to be. we're going to see some craziness tonight. I have a feeling we're going to see some craziness. But the, the, here's the thing about this World Series, and looking at these playoffs, this Boston team, I, I, I watch them, and I just see a tough, a never-say-die type of attitude with this baseball team. I, I look at uh, game two against the Tigers. I look at game six against the Tigers. And, you know, just the big hits, big moments. I mean, big poppy, that grand slant to tie the baseball game. Then Victorino with that grand slam to put the uh, Red Sox up on top and ultimately put the ball game away. You knew at that point Red Sox going up 5-2 to two, that this game was over. That game was over. I mean, just uh, these guys just have had big moments. Even Poppy the other night with the two-run shot against Waka, even though they lost that game. It's just the Red Sox have had some big moments and, and made some big plays at big times, at big spots. And a lot of reasons, this is just a tough baseball team. And this toughness, I think, is going to serve this team well. I think they're going to win this series, and ultimately I think they're going to get it done in six. I just like what I see from this baseball team. I like the swagger that the Red Sox have, and I believe the swagger that they have is going to continue. Don't count As I'm picking the Red Sox, I'm saying to myself, don't count out the St. Louis Cardinals because the St. Louis Cardinals, this is a tough team as well. This has been a tough team over the years, and they continue to have that level of toughness. But, again, I just like the way the Red Sox are playing right now. I just like their swagger a little bit more. I like their swagger just a little bit more, and I think that swagger is going to be enough for the Red Sox to ultimately win this series in six. We shall see what happens. A lot of baseball to be played, a lot of things that need to happen, a lot of things that are going to happen before this thing is all said and done. But we got a lot of good baseball left. I'm excited. The World Series, baby. Game three in St. Louis. We'll see what happens. Does having Big Poppy out of the lineup make that, I mean, excuse me, having Napoli out of the lineup make that much of a difference? We'll see. We'll see. He's had some big hits at some big times in some big spots throughout the course of these playoffs. We'll see. We'll see what happens moving forward and how much having Napoli out of the lineup will affect the St. Louis Cardinals. I want to switch gears now to the National Football League and Greg Schiano and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. And what an awful mess it is in Tampa right now, an awful mess 
with that whole franchise and that whole situation. We all know Greg Schiano and the situation with Josh Freeman, possibilities that he rigged the the, cap, the vote for captain, the possibility that he leaked information about a failed test for Josh Freeman, possibilities of all these things. And the thing about it at this point, you, you watch the Tampa Bay Buccaneers and early in the season they were in, in some tough football games, some close football games. You look at the game against uh you look at the game against the uh the Jets, the first game of the season, where you had Devontae David uh push Geno Smith out of bounds, you got a fifteen yard penalty and ultimately it costs you the football game. If that if that penalty doesn't happen, we all know that the Bucks probably would have won that football game. And then you you, you have the situation against the, you, you play Drew Brees and then the New Orleans Saints tough. You have an opportunity to win that football game. You don't get it done. I mean, you you can't continue to lose close football games in the National Football League. There, I mean, the, the teams are so close in the game. There's only so many plays that can turn a football game. There are so many plays that can turn a football game. And those plays turn a football game and then ultimately turn a season. Arizona Cardinals, they they had played the Arizona Cardinals in their fourth game. Mike Glennon's first start. Again, they were in control of that football game. Glennon throws some picks. I mean, he did what rookies do in those situations. He threw some picks, and ultimately they lost that football game. I mean, this is a team that easily – should be at least two and two. Well, it could have been at least two and two at the end of four games. They could have been at least two and two after the, at the end of four games. At the end of three games, they benched Josh Freeman, ultimately released Josh Freeman, and you know they go into the bye and they come out and three straight losses later, they are zero and seven and their season is over. And the reign of Greg Schiano is probably over. So it, there's a lot of things that are probably over in. Tampa Bay, first of all, the season is over. Greg Schiano's coaching and his, his reign of his two years of coaching with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers is probably over. His, his tenure as Buccaneers coach is probably over. And you look at it. I mean, after the game, one of your best players, one of your best players, one of your stars on defense, Darrell Revis simply asked the question. Simply asked the question. Simply asked the question by the media. Do you guys believe in your coaching staff? Do you guys believe in your coaching staff? Darrell Revis said, I don't know. And you hear that, and you're saying to yourself, you don't expect a player to say, I don't know. You expect a player to give the answer, yes, we still believe in our coaching staff. Yes, we still believe in our team, and hopefully we can go out next week and get a W and, and, and get some things done moving forward. But Darrell Revis said, I don't know. Darrell Revis said flat out, I don't know. And when you see that, when you see a guy saying, I don't know, that's not very good. When you see him say, I don't know, simply put, do you guys still believe in this coaching staff? I don't know. 
Well, judging by, I mean, let's be honest. Do we expect Mike Lennon to come in and, and do anything worthwhile? Did, did we expect that from the Tampa Bay Buccaneers? I mean, you know, at that point, the season was essentially over. I'm not saying Josh Freeman was playing big-time football, as we saw the other night, you know, against the, when he was ultimately signed with the Vikings, and we saw the other night, you know, Josh Freeman hasn't had the best of years. I mean, Josh Freeman was in Tebow territory in terms of 45% completion percentage. So I'm not saying he was playing big-time football. But what I am saying, with some of the things you have on defense, I think Josh Freeman is a better option. I don't really see Mike Glennon becoming anything special. I don't see special when I see Mike Glennon. I don't necessarily see franchise quarterback, but, again, it's still early in the career of Mike Glennon. I don't see it. I don't see it. But you got to see, I mean, obviously you look at the whole thing in Tampa. This thing has fallen apart, and I think the reality is whether you do it now, whether you do it later, you're going to have to do it. And, and what I'm saying by do it is you're going to have to move Greg Schiano on. You're going to have to move Greg Schiano on. That's just the reality of the situation. Greg Schiano has lost this football team. He has lost this football team. And at this point, I don't see him getting the back. Now, maybe. I mean, this is a team that, you know, in the offseason brought in some guys that would hopefully shore up some things. Brought in a Deshaun Golson. Brought in a Darrell Revis. Brought in a Vincent Jackson with the hope that that would shore up some of the deficiencies that this team had in the secondary and to give them a weapon on the offensive side of football. Another weapon. They had a weapon in Doug Martin. But ultimately, even with doing that, it didn't help. It did not help. But I say to you, when you look at the National Football League, you look at the National Football League, you can't lose close football. You can't consistently lose close football games. You can't lose games the way they lost football games. I mean, that's, it comes down to discipline, and discipline is on the coaches. I, I, discipline is on your coaching staff. That's on your coaching staff. And De, Devontae David and that play, coaching staff. I, I put that coaching staff. You've got to talk to your players. That's just a discipline situation. The discipline situation. But you look at it now, it's very obvious. And he had Mike Silver had an article on NFL.com, ex-player coming out and, and, and comparing Tampa Bay and the whole situation to Cuba. And, you know, Greg Ciano saying essentially, you know, he's a college coach coaching the way college coaches coach college players. I mean, that's the way you – that's what you see – with Greg Ciano. And this is Michael Bennett who played for the Buccaneers last season now in Seattle. 
He's probably in a, not probably, he's in a much better situation in Seattle. Much better situation than he had in Seattle for Michael Bennett. But, you know, Greg Schiano, I mean, it's like being in Cuba, as one player said. He has asked, how, he said, how bad is it, quote, in, in uh, Tampa Bay? It's worse than you can imagine. It's like being in Cuba. I mean, wow. 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 And that's, you know, it's, it's obviously the team, players, are starting not to believe in Greg Schiano. And do you, A, try to see this season through and give him an opportunity to, to make it right? Or do you, at this point, cut your losses, or at the end of the season, cut your losses, just move on, find a new coach, and see what can happen? What do you do? I, I look at it. I mean, to me, at this point, I wouldn't be surprised if he gets Lane Kiffin. And, you know, I, was, I thought this was the game to get Lane Kiffin, the way that team performed. Listless performance against the Carolina Panthers. I mean, it, it was just a listless performance by the football team. And we talked about uh, that defense and how good that Buccaneers defense was earlier in the season. But over the past three weeks, they've given up an average of 31 points per game. 31 points per game. So that that once vaunted defense and that we saw in Tampa may not be as vaunted as we thought. I mean, that defense now, 31 points, three consecutive games. 31. 31 points and three consecutive games. Uh, and, well, we have to say 20, 24 against Atlanta because one of those touchdowns was a, a defensive touchdown. But, again, Around, I mean, two of the last three games, they've given up 31 points defensively. 31 points. So that once vaunted defense that we saw in Tampa earlier in the season may not be no more. And I just think at this point, this team, this locker room, does not believe in Greg Schiano and his coaching staff. So it's becoming obvious. It's become evident. Change must come the Tampa Bay or Buccaneer organization and change probably will come, might be sooner than later. Sticking with Tampa Bay, Josh Freeman. And Josh Freeman is not with Tampa Bay, but he's with the Minnesota Vikings and Josh Freeman is out this week because of a concussion. But did you see his performance the other night? I mean, you had John Gruden and the whole ESPN uh, staff there over there sent calling for him to be sat down and talk about the irresponsibility of putting him in in that particular situation after just getting to Minnesota. I mean, and a lot of people are questioning Leslie Frazier because of it. I look at it this way. I don't think this whole decision to put him in is strictly on Leslie Frazier. Obviously, the organization probably came together and decided that it was he was good enough and knew enough to ultimately get on the football field. That's what I'm assuming. I could be wrong. But that is what I'm assuming, that the organization came together and made a decision related to Josh Freeman. I mean, let's be honest. I don't think he gets on the field if that's not the case. He was awful. 
there's there's no getting around how awful Josh Freeman was the other night. But really, should we be surprised just judging by the type of season that Josh Freeman has had throughout the course of this year, judging by some of the things he's done throughout the course of this year? I mean, the, the guy was in Tebowville in terms of completion percentage, 45% completion percentage. That's what he was before that start the other night. That's what he was, 45% completion percentage. And it was much worse against the Giants, down 37% completion percentage. 37%, 20 for 53 yards. You throw 53, 20 for 53 for 190 yards, excuse me. You throw 53 times and you only, only complete 20 times and you only throw for 190 yards. You throw that many times in a game, you probably should be close to 300 yards, at least, at least. He was 20 for 53, 20 for 53, three yards per pass for Josh Freeman. One interception, 40.6 completion percentage. Excuse me, 40.6 quarterback rating. 53 times, 53 times, you're down 10-7 and a half, down 10-7 and a half time. And as far as I'm concerned, I know uh, Adrian Peterson didn't have a lot of success. I know that. But only 13 carries when your quarterback is 20 for 53. If your quarterback had 33 incompletions, 33 incompletions, you mean to tell me? Adrian Peterson can't get more than 13 carries. And, again, I know he didn't have a lot of success, but that's AP. He has the ability to break one off. He has the ability to hit a home run. He has home run hitting ability. He has that ability. We've seen that out of Adrian Peterson. We've seen that out of Adrian Peterson. And I said, coming into this season, that two guys would be taking step backs this season. One of those guys is Adrian Peterson. I said Adrian Peterson was one of those guys who was going to take a step back. He got off to a slow start a year ago. I'll give you that. But he's not having a big time year. He's not, you're not going to see 2,000 yards again from Adrian Peterson this year. I said he was going to have a step back. He was going to take a step back this season. And I said RG3 is going to take a step back this season. And thus far, I think I'm pretty dead on at this point of the season. Adrian Peterson is averaging 4.4 yards a carry. Not bad. Five touchdowns. Again, not bad. But this is a guy talking about getting 2,500 yards. This is a guy talking about shattering the record, the previous record for rushing yards in the season. This is a guy talking about doing that. This is a guy talking about that. But again, had 200-yard games thus far this season. Two 100-yard games thus far. So six, six uh, games into the season and two 100-yard se- uh, games. And in that one other that one hundred that he got against Chicago 
was at 100. And he had 140 against the Pittsburgh Steelers. So Adrian Peterson, I think, is going to take a step back this season, as I predicted, and as I see it thus far at this point. But I go back to Josh Freeman. And I don't know if you can solely blame Leslie Frazier on this. I think everybody is to blame organizationally. I think this is an organizational issue, not just a, a Josh, which a Leslie Frazier issue. I think this is an organizational issue. I think everybody is culpable for what happened. For I mean, he, he you look at it. He he was the second quarterback and became the second quarterback since 1960. 53 years, the second quarterback since 1960 to attempt 50 or more passes and not throw for 200 yards. According to some other stats, he overthrew his receivers on 16 of his 33 incompletions. 16 of 33. So half of his 33 incompletions were overthrows. Freeman says he was prepared. But he said he might have had some nerves. A little nervous. A little nervous. Freeman said, quote, looking back, maybe I was a little too fired up at first. There's definitely a lot of correctable things. Things that go that going into the game I would have banked on or me, or me being able to complete or get it done on the field. But at the same time, we weren't able to do so. So I'm moving forward. I just got to find a better way to be prepared. I just have to find a better way to be prepared. I mean, and maybe he says he knew the system. He, he said he was comfortable. I think, he, but it just didn't get it done. He just did not get it done. He just did not get it done. He has a concussion, so he's out this week. Christian Ponder gets the start. And if Christian Ponder comes in and has success and, and plays some big-time football, I, I think Christian Ponder at this point has to keep the job. Or do you go back to Freeman? Or is, is this with your Vikings? Are you at this point now where you're saying, you know what, no matter what kind of game Christian Ponder has, we're going to go back to Josh Freeman, and we're going to see what he really is before we decide what are we what we're going to do in terms of the NFL draft. I mean, there's a lot of quarterbacks out here that they can choose from in this draft. There could be some potential studs coming out of college. Bridgewater, Landry, I mean, uh, Manziel, Mariota. You know, there's there's a list of quarterbacks out here who could possibly change the future of your franchise. The question becomes, does Minnesota have their franchise quarterback, I don't think they do. I haven't seen that out of Christian Ponder. You've seen flashes, but I don't think we've seen enough flashes to say that he is your franchise quarterback. Josh Freeman, I don't think he's a franchise quarterback. I think we've seen enough of what he has done in Tampa at this point. I I think it's safe to say, and, and, and I could be wrong. And that's why I don't really knock the Minnesota Vikings for what they're doing in terms of trying to figure out whether or not Josh Freeman can be their franchise quarterback. I don't blame them for doing that. I think it's a great idea for them to do that, to see 
exactly what exactly they have in terms of a, at the quarterback position. And at this point, the Minnesota Vikings, their season is over. They're not turning this thing around. It's done in Minnesota. The season is done. You're one and five. You're not coming back from that. Your quarterback play has not been that great. Your defense has not been that great. I mean, they're 29th against the pass, so they have not been that great. Defensively, you're not great. Offensively, you're not great. The reality is your season probably is done. So I think at this point, you need to see exactly what you may have at the quarterback position, whether it's Freeman, Ponder, or somebody that's still playing on Saturday. That's the decision you have to make, and I think you need to take the rest of the season to figure that out, to figure out whether or not it's going to be Freeman, Ponder, or somebody else. Philadelphia Eagles. Philadelphia Eagles, we saw last week what happened there. You know, everybody inside Philadelphia, outside Philadelphia, and around the league were talking about Nick Foles and talking about what he has done throughout the course of the the one-and-a-half games he has played and the things he's done, the way he's played, the way he played against the New York football giants in the second half there where he came in there right off the bench and had played some big-time football and ultimately got the Eagles a victory against the New York Giants, who they happened to play this week at the link. Of the, and the Philadelphia Eagles, I mean, nine-game home losing streak. That's, that's pretty pathetic. But anyway, you look at it. Nick Foles, big-time performances against the Giants and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. And now, with the division lead on the line, biggest game of his career, it seemed like it was a choking situation for Nick Foles. I mean, he not he was awful. He was Josh Freeman awful. 11 for 29, 80 yards. 11 for 29 and 80 yards. I mean, he was inaccurate. He had open receivers, and he was overthrowing them or throwing behind them. I mean, it was awful. It was one of the worst performances you've seen out of a quarterback in a very long time. And it was so befuddling because of what we saw out of Nick Foles in previous weeks. I mean, we were talking, you know, a lot of people were talking to Philadelphia and even around the league that possibly the Philadelphia Eagles may have found their quarterback of the future in Nick Foles. Maybe they have found their quarterback of the future in Nick Foles. And he was awful. He was just awful. I mean, this is coming off. NFC Player of the Week uh, status. This is coming off winning that award. You go from NFC Player of the Week to possibly being the possible franchise quarterback for the Philadelphia Eagles moving forward, you go from that to being a guy that everybody's saying, oh, maybe he's just a backup. And I was not one of these guys who was so quick to jump on that Nick Foles bandwagon. I just was not quick to jump on that bandwagon. I wasn't. I just wasn't for a lot of reasons. I just did not see enough for me to say that this guy, Nick Foles, is legit, is for real. He's shown flashes, but I think he's shown flashes 
throughout the course of his career. We've seen good Nick, bad Nick. And we saw a lot of bad Nick on Sunday. I mean, it was just as good as he was against Tampa the week before. That's how bad he was. I mean, it was just a polar opposite. The polar opposite of what we saw out of Nick Foles. It was the polar opposite. I mean, he was that bad. He was that bad. He really was. He was 1-6 as a starter last season. And just looking at some of the numbers he's put up, I mean, he's kind of been an up-and-down type of guy, even throughout the course of his career. You look at Dallas, he came into that game after Michael Vick had suffered a concussion and was decent. Good, not great in that particular game. We're going back to last season, his first start, where he was 22 for 32, 219, one touchdown, one interception. We go to the following week in a losing performance, mind you, against Dallas. And the following week, uh, not really a great intercept, uh, performance. Again, it's only his second start, but two picks, 21 for 46, 204 yards. And then the third start of the Nick Foles era, again, not that great, 20 uh, 16 for 20, 119 yards, no touchdowns, no interceptions. Comes back, decent performance against the Cowboys. Uh, they lost, obviously, the Eagles. They lost a lot last year. But it won uh, 22 for 34, 251, and a touch. And then the following week against Tampa and his first victory of his career against a bad Tampa defense at the time. But a win is a win, 32 for 51, 381 yards, two touchdowns. Ultimately, his first victory as an Eagle, and ultimately the Eagles will win that particular football game. And then you go against Cincinnati, 16 for 33, 181 touch, one interception, not that great. And then Washington, his final performance, 32 for 48, 345, a touchdown to pick. Again, decent numbers for Nick Foles. But nothing that really stood out. And I think a lot of things, what we saw with Nick Foles last year and the excitement around Nick Foles, even coming to next year, this year, is what we saw out of the preseason out of Nick Foles. I mean, he wasn't bad in the preseason. Even last year, he was pretty good in the preseason. I think... That coupled by the team off to a one and three start, coupled by couple that with the team looking for ultimately their franchise quarterback. Because as we saw from Matt Barkley, you could argue that possibly the quarterback, the future quarterback of the Philadelphia Eagles beyond this season, is not on their roster. I mean, Matt Barkley came in and threw four interceptions, three that counted, but he threw four interceptions, and he was, he was, I mean, obviously a tough spot to put him in, a tough spot to put him in, but he really was. Not that good. But now the Eagles have Michael Vick back, and Michael Vick, we'll see how healthy he truly is, how much that hamstring and how healthy that hamstring might be. We'll see. We'll see out of Michael Vick what he can offer tomorrow for the Philadelphia Eagles. I mean, again, this is a team that's lost nine games at home. So they don't, I guess as you can say, I guess it's safe to say that they don't have a home field advantage because they haven't beating, beaten anybody at home for nine straight times. The last team that they beat at home last September was the team that they're playing tomorrow, the New York Giants. So that's the last home victory for the Philadelphia Eagles against the New York football Giants. That was the last time this team has had a victory. Will we see Nick Foles ever again? Will Nick Foles ever 
play again for the Philadelphia Eagles. Will he ever play again? I think it's a legitimate question to ask. And I guess you're going on the premise that if he does play again, Michael Vick gets hurt again. Not out of the question. Truly, truly not out of the question that Michael Vick gets hurt again. It's possible. It's definitely possible. But I, I look at Michael Vick over the years, and I, I tweeted this out, and I look at Jay Cutler as well. And I'm, I'm, just, I'm just comparing these two guys. Uh, and just from the standpoint that, you know, a lot of people get on Michael Vick in terms of the injuries and things of that nature. And I, and I think it's safe to say we can do the same for Jay Cutler. And, and I also want to ask this question throw it out to you. Would you rather have Michael Vick or Jay Cutler? I mean, you look at these guys over the past few seasons. I mean, Cutler did lead a team to an NFC title game. So did Michael Vick. He did what Michael Vick has done the same. But you look at <clears throat> Michael Vick over the past three seasons as the solidified starter for the Eagles, played 13 games, missed three games in 2011, missed six games in 2012. Some of that was health. Some of that was Nick Foles coming in and the Eagles looking towards the future. And at this point, he's missed two games at this point of the season. But so, you know, Michael Vick has definitely been a guy who has struggled with durability definitely has struggled with durability over the years. But let's look at Jay Cutler conversely, another guy who struggled with durability. I know Cutler, this is a contract year for Jay Cutler. So you obviously you know he wants to show out and show that he can, in fact, stay healthy. But it's been a problem for Jay Cutler over the years. And you look at the Chicago Bears, interesting. I mean, this is a team that because of – Jay Cutler going out for various injuries. I mean, this is the guy, 2010, 15 games he started, missed only one. 2011, missed six. 2012, missed only one. Now, 2013, he's probably, I mean, he's going to be out for four weeks, so he's going to miss a few games there. So when it's all said and done, he might only play in 12 games this season. But he has struggled with health over the years. He struggled with health over the years. And his best season with the Chicago Bears was 2010 when he got to the NFC title game against the Green Bay Packers. They had a home game, and ultimately he let them down because he went out in that game because of an injury. He went out because of an injury in that particular game. So obviously he's not reliable. I think it's safe to say at this point the numbers have not been great for Jay Cutler. But you look at it over the past couple of years, I mean, 2011 especially, when he went down, the Bears were playing some, big, playing some decent football and probably would have went to the playoffs if Jay Cutler was 100%. But ultimately, didn't work out for the Chicago Bears. Caleb Haney came in in 2011. He stunk up the joint, and ultimately him stinking up the joint ultimately caused the Bears to miss the playoffs. But I asked him, I'm just thinking about this, and maybe I'm the only one thinking about it. But Jay Cutler or Michael Vick, who would I rather have moving forward? Who would I rather have moving forward? Would I rather have Vick or would I rather have 
Jay Cutler. And at this point, I mean, Michael Vick is 33 years old. Jay Cutler is 29. You've got to give the age advantage to Jay Cutler. But Jay Cutler has proven to have durability issues and proven, you know, that in big spots you can't really rely on the guy because of some of his durability issues. I guess you can make kind of the same argument for Michael Vick as well because, you know, this is a guy who's missed some time for the Eagles. He definitely missed some time. But I think if I was just looking at their skill sets, looking at what they have to offer at this stage of their careers, I think I'm going to go with Michael Vick. I, I really would. I, I, I know if I'm the Chicago Bears, I'm not paying Jay Cutler big-time money. I, I know that for a fact. I'm not play, paying. I'm not. I'm not paying Jay Cutler big-time money. So if I can get Jay Cutler at a reasonable contract, probably I do bring him back. But I'm going to look around. I'm going to look around if I am the Chicago Bears organization. I'm definitely going to look around. I'm not sold on Jay Cutler moving forward. You can't rely on him. He can't stay healthy. A big part of ability is durability. And Jay Cutler has proven that he is not very durable. Durability has been an issue for Jay Cutler. It just has. And he's out, again, for four weeks. And we'll see what happens moving forward with the Chicago Bears. Can they hold it down with Jay Cutler out? They haven't been able to do so in the past. Would they be able to do so moving forward? Josh McCown will get to start for the Chicago Bears. So... We'll see if it if it's going to be much of a difference. We'll, we'll see if they can hold down the fort. We'll see if they can do it. But again, with having Jay Cutler out of the lineup, it's not going to be a good situation. Not a good situation for Chicago Bears. Not. They're on bye now next week. November 4th, Monday Night Football, they travel to Green Bay. And you have to say that's probably going to be a loss. Detroit after that at home, Baltimore at home, and St. Louis at home over the next four weeks, four or five weeks, counting the bye week, for the Chicago Bears. And maybe Jay Cutler is back by the Rams game. Maybe he is, maybe he's not. Next four at Green Bay, without Jay Cutler, I think that's a loss. It's definitely a loss. Uh, week 10 against Detroit without Jay Cutler, probably another loss in Detroit. I mean, it's in uh, Chicago, excuse me, but I think it's probably another loss. Week 11 against Baltimore, maybe they can win that game with Josh McCown, who was decent off the bench. But again, you, 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 I think, I, I think you know, it's not a guarantee, and it wasn't a guarantee with Jay Cutler, but I think you have a much better shot. And then at St. Louis, November 24th, Kellen Cut. Kellen Clemens is the quarterback in St. Louis. So I think the Bears have a shot. And speaking of Kellen Clemens and that whole situation, Brett Favre, we heard the name of Brett Favre one more again. When are teams going to leave Brett Favre alone and let him just retire? 44 years old. The Rams 
after Sam Bradford went down, decided to give Brett Favre a phone call. They decided to give Brett Favre a phone call and ask if he was interested in coming out of retirement. What? What? Why would anybody ask a 44-year-old Brett Favre to come out of retirement? Why would anybody want Brett Favre on their roster at this point of his life? Did you see what I saw out of Brett Favre, his final year in the league? I didn't see a a motivated football player, first of all. And quite frankly, I didn't see a very good football player. I mean, look at Brett Favre in the 2010 season. Started 13 games, 2,500 yards, 60% completion percentage, but 11 touchdowns to 19 interceptions. Is there anything with that stat line that would ask that that would uh, uh, compel a team to ask Brett Favre to return? Is there anything in that stat line that would 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 make you want to reach out to this guy? Anything? Is there anything in that stat line? 11 touchdowns, 19 interceptions. And that was three years ago. Is there anything from that stat line that would make you want to believe that this guy could come out and be an effective quarterback for your football team? And Brett Favre has said he had some other teams reach out to him. But why? What have you seen? I mean, 2009 with the Minnesota Vikings was magical, absolutely magical. 4,200 yards, 68% completion percentage, 33 touchdowns, seven interceptions. That was a special year. No doubt about it. No doubt. That was special. But you look at, Brett Favre in his final season, he was awful. 11 touchdowns, 19 interceptions. Awful. 69.9 quarterback rating. This is a guy with a career average 86 quarterback rating. This is a guy who, year before, 2,907 quarterback rating. Why would you ask Brett Favre to come out of retirement? Why? I think I would rather ask Tim Tebow. I, I would rather give Tim Tebow a shot before I give Brett Favre another shot in the National Football League at the age of 44. Did you see anything from Brett Favre in that 2010 season that would lead you to believe that this guy is an effective quarterback? I'm waiting. With no one else speaking up, I think I rest my case. I don't understand it. I don't get it. I don't get it. He was bad. His final. I, I guess I could see if, let's just say 2009 was his final season. 
And we know the numbers, 2009, 33 touchdowns, only seven interceptions, 68% completion percentage. Let's just say that was the last time we saw Brett Favre. Then I can understand possibly a call, the call that the Rams have made. I, I, I can understand that call a little more. Still, you know, 44 is 44. But I can understand the call. I can understand it. Again, don't necessarily agree with it, but I can understand it. But did you, uh, or, or, or were the Rams is were the Rams blind in 2010? I mean, was was Jeff Fisher not watching football in 2010? Did 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 he not see what we all saw in 2010? Did he not see an unmotivated player? Did he not see interceptions? Did he not see a broken-down quarterback, a man who was a shell of himself? Did he not see those things? I mean, did he not have televisions in the Fisher household? Did the Rams not watch film? I mean, you question whether they do watch film by their decision to reach out to Brett Favre, Brett Favre, who would reach out to Brett Favre, who would reach out to Brett Favre, Brett Favre, 11 touchdowns, 19 interceptions, 69.9 rating, quarterback rating in his final season as a quarterback, who reaches out to that, 44 years old. Who reaches out to that? Why? And why would you think Brett Favre would even want to take the bait with that? I mean, even, you know, after that magical season that he had in Minnesota and after that where they had to coax him back in and guys had to fly out to him and, and, and bring him back, even with that said, even with that said, you can understand why the Vikings did that because he had a magical season and you can understand why Brett Favre would want to come back because the Vikings were this close, very close, from a, a Brett Favre interception close from going to the Super Bowl. So they were this, they were very close to going to the Super Bowl. So you can understand why they reached out to Brett Favre. You can understand why they traveled the road in seven seas to get after Brett Favre and try to bring him back. You can understand that. And Brett Favre, again, he says, there's no way – no way that he's returning. Teams have called, but there's no way. And he said, quote, I don't know who, but I think a couple teams have inquired. It's flattering, but there's no way I'm going to do that. No way. And right now, Favre is a quarterback's coach at a high school. He's a quarterback's coach at a high school. Why would anybody Especially, and why would just why would anybody want to go out for go after Brett Favre? Obvious question, obvious answer, I would think, rhetorical question. But next point is, why would Brett Favre want to go to the Rams? Is there anything about the Rams that you see could do anything in terms of a Super Bowl? I would think at his age, forty-four years old, your unless you have some financial issues, your motive and strictly your motive is to win a championship or be in contention. Your motive can't be 
just to, I mean, if it's not financial, it wouldn't make any type of sense for him to return. It, it just wouldn't. But my question is, if you're going to reach out to a Brett Favre, why are you not? And I know Jeff Fisher, Jeff Fisher and Vince Young haven't seen eye to eye during their time in Tennessee, but you need Jeff, you need Vince Young at this point. You need Vince Young. And I'm not saying Vince Young is, is, is the best quarterback in football. But what I am saying is this. If you're going to reach out to Brett Favre, you might as well reach out to Vince Young. And, heck, why don't you reach out to Donovan McNabb? I mean, Donovan McNabb probably would be more motivated to want to return to the National Football League than Brett Favre. I mean, if it, why wouldn't you try to reach out to Donovan McNabb? And, I'm, and, and you know, Donovan's last season in football – wasn't very good. It wasn't good at all, actually. His final few seasons in football were not good. Wasn't. Was not good at all. There's no doubt. No doubts about that. There's no getting around that. It wasn't good for Donovan McNabb his final few years in football. I mean, we've seen it. Wasn't good. But my question is this: Donovan McNabb. Why not? I mean, 37 years old, 36 years old, about to be 37. Why not go after him? Why, why, why not go after Donovan McNabb if you're going to go after Brett Favre? If you're going to go after an old 44-year-old Brett Favre, why not go after a 36-year-old Donovan McNabb? And I'm not saying, hey, I'm not saying Donovan McNabb could still play in this league. But I think he could do a little better than Brett Favre. I definitely think he could do a little better than Brett Favre, but I think who they really should have reached out to is Vince Young. I mean, Vince Young said it. He doesn't understand why he's why he's not in the National Football League. I mean, I can see why he's not in the National Football League. Some of the incidents in Tennessee, I, I can see why. He said, and he told Sirius XM Radio, that me and my wife and all my peers and fans were all trying to figure this stuff out. I don't have the slightest idea. It's like a huge question mark over my head every day. And I wake up in the morning to take care of my responsibilities and know I should be playing. To not have one of those calls is tough. I agree. I, I, I have an idea why you're not getting a shot. I mean, your time with Philadelphia, when you had a few opportunities, you were one for two as a starter. You had a big victory against the Giants. But you, you didn't play too well against Seattle, and you didn't make enough plays against New England and Tom Brady. But you weren't awful. You weren't awful. And to think that Kellen Clemens would would be a better option to Vince Young, to me, is kind of mind-boggling. I think he still can play. I think if he's put in the right system, he still can be effective. I'm not saying I'm not sure if he's a starter, but he's at least a backup in this league. Thirty one and nineteen as a starter. I mean, I, I don't know at this point what Vince Young can do. I know he, he had a shot with the Green Bay Packers, but he came in late into training camp and you know, had de- one decent preseason performance and he had a bad preseason performance. But I I, I thought the Packers would give him a shot. I I really did. I really thought that the Packers would give him an opportunity. I mean, but this guy has led a team to the playoffs. This guy has 
done some. Has been a Pro Bowler. This guy has had some effective seasons, had some decent seasons under his belt. Again, still young guy, still young guy. Twenty-eight years old, thirty years old. Excuse me. Still a young guy. Only thirty years old. You're willing to give an opportunity to a 44-year-old quarterback who had an awful, the last time we saw him was awful and unmotivated. You're willing to give that an opportunity rather than Vince Young. And I get that, you know, Vince Young and and, uh, Jeff Fisher didn't always see eye to eye. But I would think, you know, sometimes in life it's all about performance and what a guy can give. Again, I'm not saying Vince Young would make the Rams a playoff team, but I think he's a better option. I think we all can agree that probably he is a better option than Kellen Clements. But we shall see. Second hour of Gopher coming up. In that second hour, the NBA season is getting underway. The NBA season is going to start next week, and we're going to talk about it in that second hour. The second hour of Gopher starts right now. Go for it, underway in this hour. We may be joined by uh, Devin Alexander. We'll see if he can get out of the gym in time. But if he gets out of the gym in time, we may be joined by him in the second hour. We're also trying to track down Drew Sedora. We were supposed to have her in that first hour. Hopefully we can get her going in the second hour. But we're going to talk NBA. The NBA season has and will be getting started next week. It's an exciting time for moi. For me, I mean, I, I I love the NBA. I'm excited. And this is a great time in the year. World Series going on. NFL season in full swing. Basketball, NBA about to start. you got college basketball starting as well. Hockey, if you're a hockey guy, hockey has started. This is a great time to be a sports fan because there's a lot of things going on. A lot of things going on. And you look at the National Basketball Association and you say, First of all, who's the favorites? Who, I mean, uh, it, the NBA, you, you look at it as really not much in terms of predicting. It's kind of easy in a lot of ways because there's only a few teams that you know can legitimately get to the NBA Finals and win an NBA title. You have to start it off, of course, with the two-time uh, champion of Miami Heat. I mean, I, I don't think... I think they have to be the favorite going into this season. They, they just have to be. They're just, I mean, LeBron James and Dwayne Wade just put you on that level of favorites, and Chris Bosh as well. So I look at the Miami Heat coming into this season, and I look at them as one of the favorites. I mean, I, I look at the Miami Heat now, not one of the favorites. I think they are the favorite. I mean, I think there's other teams out there who could give them problems, and I think there's some teams in the Western Conference and the Eastern Conference who can push them, but I don't think anybody can beat them. And you can argue San Antonio Spurs were uh, a free throw away from beating this football, uh, basketball team, and the San Antonio Spurs choked. Kawhi Leonard missed a big-time free throw. They choked in that game six. 
Ginobili missed a free throw as well. I mean, so they, they they had an opportunity to win that basketball game and put that basketball game away. They should have won game six. Ultimately, they should have won the NBA Finals last season. They should be the champions. They should be, but it's, they're not. It is what it is. But the, you look at the Miami Heat now, and I look at this basketball team, and, and I say to myself, you have a LeBron James, best player in the game. You have a Dwayne Wade, top 10, top 15, whoever, depending on who you talk to. So you have that. As well, so you have a, a team that is big time, which is very obvious, judging by what they've done over the past two seasons, over the past three seasons, three appearances in the NBA Finals over the last three seasons. But I look at this basketball team now, and you know, only thing they really have lost is Mike Miller. But I look at this team, and with the addition of Michael Beasley, and with the addition of Greg Oden, two guys, Michael Beasley and Greg Oden, that. Quite frankly, you really don't know if you can rely on him. I mean, Greg Oden has played only 82 games in five seasons. I mean, he hasn't played a game since 2009. So Greg Oden, you look at him and, and you say to yourself, I mean, what does he have to offer and can he offer anything? Well, I, if I'm the Heat, and I know there was a few weeks ago he was having some issues with some swelling, but I know the other night he played a few minutes and, and was decent, blocked a shot, scored a couple points. And I, but I look at Greg Oden and I say to myself, if this guy is healthy, if he can be that guy that he was, many or we thought he could be when healthy, if he can be that guy, then guess what? The Miami Heat, uh, I think they become unbeatable. What was the Achilles heel for the Miami Heat? It was their their issues with their bigs, and Roy Hibbert had success against the Miami Heat. Tim Duncan had success against the Miami Heat. You know, a lot of bigs have had success against the Miami Heat. But you had a, if, you had a, if, if Greg Oden can be anything for you, if Greg, and if I'm the Miami Heat, you know what, Greg? We'll, we'll, we'll pay you spot minutes here, spot minutes there. But I need you to be 100% or as close to 100% as you can be come playoff time. I need you in April, May, and June. That's when I need you. That's where, what I really need you for. I need you to bang with the Roy Hibberts of the world. I need you to bang with the Tyson Chandlers of the world, the Timmy Duncans of the world. I need you to bang with those guys. That, that's what the Gasols and the Zach Randolphs of the world, if it comes to that. But that's what I need you for in April, May, in June. That, that's what I need you for. So if I'm the Miami Heat, I'm like, look, I'm going to, be, I'm going to take all the precautions in the world, I'm going to be cautious with Greg Oden. And obviously, you can't count on Greg Oden. I think that's very evident, very obvious. But it is possible that Greg Oden, if he's 100% or close to it, if he can give you some quality minutes, it's definitely going to make this team better. I think that's no doubt about it. Also, Michael Beasley, another guy, if he can stay away from the weed, Michael Beasley is going, to guy, is going to be a guy that's going to give you some effective minutes, I believe. I mean, he's going to be able to get some shots with these guys in the mess, with, playing with LeBron, playing with D-Wade, playing with Abbas. He's going to have opportunities. But he, he gives you depth, and that's big. That's very big. So if you can get, I mean, adding a Beasley and Greg Oden could be big time for the Miami Heels, the thing that can keep them going and, and ultimately lead to a three-peat. But the thing about it is, 
to me, yes, having these guys are, are can be important and definitely you know help you win a title. But to me, the key is Dwayne Wade and and what he's going to be. We've seen how different of a basketball team the Miami Heat are when Dwayne Wade is not Dwayne Wade. We, we, we've we seen, even, you know, Chris Bosh not being Chris Bosh, but I think the reality is it comes down to Dwayne Wade. He was broken, he, he was breaking down two seasons ago, and he was breaking down last year in the playoffs. But when you needed big-time performances, he gave you big-time performances. But as long as you have Dwayne Wade and Dwayne Wade being at 100%, I don't see a team that can beat the Miami Heat. I, I just don't see it. I, I look at the Heat, and LeBron now is playing at an all-time level. LeBron is, is is playing at a high level. But that's a given. That's a, that's, on, that's a given at this point. To me, the health of Dwayne Wade. If Dwayne Wade is healthy, I don't see it. And especially Michael Beasley and, and Greg Oden, especially if they – are, are key contributors for this team. I don't know how a team beats the Miami Heat. I don't see it. I don't see how they do. I, I, I don't see how any team beats the Miami Heat. I don't see it. I could be wrong, but I don't see it. I know Chicago Bulls and, and Derrick Rose, and you know Derrick Rose is playing like a, a, a man possessed. He's playing like a man possessed. Obviously, him coming back is definitely going to help the Chicago Bulls. But is it going to be enough? I mean, Noah has upped his play. Is it going to be enough for the Chicago Bulls to get by the Miami Heat? I don't think so. I think the team that has the best opportunity, two teams, have good opportunities, better opportunities, I think, than the Bulls. I look at the Brooklyn Nets and also look at the Indiana Pacers. Let's start with the Brooklyn Nets now. This is a team now, the Brooklyn Nets, you go out and – you know, you, you bring in two guys to your starting lineup, two guys who have been proven winners throughout the course of their career. Two guys have played a lot of tough basketball games and playoff games over the few last few years in Kevin Garnett and Paul Pierce. And, oh, by the way, Jason Terry has been added as well. I forgot about him and some of the big things he's done throughout the course of his career and some of the big things he's done throughout the course of his playoff career including some of the things he did in that 2011 run for the Dallas Mavericks. But I look at the Brooklyn Nets, and I look at the starting lineup, Garnett, Lopez, Pierce, Joe Johnson, Darren Williams. Each and every person on that lineup can score the basketball. Each of those guys can score the basketball. Joe Johnson can score the basketball. Darren Williams scored the basketball. Garnett, Lopez, Pierce, those guys can score the basketball. Those guys can score the basketball. So I look at that starting lineup, and there's no day, there, there's nobody you can – everybody can score. Everybody can score. Paul Pierce, an 18-point scorer last season, he still can score the basketball. This Brooklyn Nets team, and I'm just looking at, you know, everything. Jason Terry is still there. You got – Bring, they brought in Jason Terry. Karolinko is going to give you something. Reggie Evans, of course, the, the guy that does all the dirty work for your basketball team. Carol, uh, Blatt, uh, Blatch, Andre Blatch is going to be big. So, And Blatch gave him some big minutes last season. He gave the Brooklyn Nets some big minutes last season. He really did. 
He gave us some decent minutes. Ten points per game last season coming off the bench in 19 minutes for Andre Blatch. So, and, and then you have an opportunity for him to, to play with a Kevin Garnett. So that's an opportunity to motivate this guy because some of the things that we've heard about Andre Blatch is the level, his motivation level hasn't been what it needs to be over the years. But I look at this Brooklyn Nets basketball team, and this is the basketball team that I think can give the Miami Heat trouble out in the Eastern Conference. Can they beat the Miami Heat? Probably not, I don't think. When it's all said and done, if D-Wade is D-Wade, and of course if LeBron is LeBron, and if you get Beasley and Odom to give you what they can give you and, and have a level of reliability with those guys, I don't see how anybody is beating the Miami Heat. So the Brooklyn Nets, I think, can get the Miami Heat some trouble. But I think that's all they'll do is give them trouble. Maybe they'll take them to seven in a series, but I don't think they're going to beat the Miami Heat. The Indiana Pacers is another team, obviously, that we're looking at as a team that could give the Miami Heat problems. The Indiana Pacers last season took the Miami Heat to seven games, and that was without one of their better players in Danny Granger. Paul George is turning into a superstar. We see a guy with some superstar potential in Paul George. David West is a solid, solid low post player. Roy Hibbert, of course, solid. And it gave the Miami Heat a lot of problems. Now, you know, you look at what the Indiana Pacers have done, and you got Granger out, who's going to be out for a few games with the calf injury possible. You don't know what he's going to be, what he's going to bring you, but in terms of injury, but he's got a calf situation right now, so we'll see what happens with him. But if he's 100% healthy when it's all said and done, they're going to be a tough team to beat. You couple that with now Lance Stevenson coming off the bench, maybe that gives him an opportunity to get better shots, better looks against lesser competition. Chris Copeland, a guy who did some big-time work for the New York Knicks last season, he's going to definitely help. Louis Louis Scola is definitely going to be a big-time help for your basketball team, a big that can score a big that can be effective in and around the basket, that's going to be a help for your team. So I look at this Indiana Pacers team and say, you know what? This is a team that possibly could give the Miami Heat. They gave them trouble last season. And you could argue that they have improved over last season just based off some of their offseason moves. I mean, Louis, Louis Scola is a load down low. He's a load down low, kind of underrated. He can score. He can score in and around the basket, definitely. He's a good guy to have on your basketball team. Good guy to have on your basketball team. So I look at Louis Scola. I look at the addition of Chris Copeland. I look at the addition of C.J. Watts. I look at all these additions. And I think Indiana, and obviously Granger, a return of Danny Granger, and I'm saying to myself, this is another team that could give the Miami Heat, trouble. These are two teams out east that can give the Miami Heat trouble. I, I think that's – I think more so than the Bulls because I think the Bulls are, are Derrick Rose or Buss. I, I think these teams have a little more to offer. I really do. They have a little more depth, I believe. And I just think the team have just have – overall, I think they just have better players than the Chicago Bulls. I really do. We'll see what Derrick Rose is going to be. He's playing like a madman in this preseason. See what happens when the season starts. But I look out at out west now, and I'm just thinking about teams that could beat the Miami Heat. Houston, 
You know, a lot of people look at Houston bringing in a Dwight Howard to go along with James Harden and what they have there, Jeremy Lin, Chandler Parsons. First of all, I'm not sold on Jeremy Lin as a starting point guard for a very good basketball team or a championship caliber basketball team. I'm not necessarily sure I'm sold on that. Secondly, I'm not sold on, on the Sheik and, and Dwight Howard playing together. I don't know if that necessarily can work. I mean, both of their skill sets are similar. I, I don't think it necessarily can work. I think they should have, you know, tried to do what they can do to move him to get in, to get a stretch type of four. Because if you remember, Dwight Howard has had his most success with stretch fours. And he had that moment when, when he led that team to the NBA Finals. Who is his power forward? Rashard Lewis. What is he? A stretch four. Something to think about. I don't think a Sheik and Dwight Howard playing together is going to work. Um, I just don't think this team has enough. I think they have enough to, to – obviously they're going to get to the playoffs, and obviously they're going to have some regular season success. But I don't think they have enough ultimately to win a title. Not yet. At least not yet. Maybe it's going to take time, more pieces – for it to finally come together for the uh, Houston Rockets. But as of right now, I don't think so. The Los Angeles Clippers, interesting team. Doc Rivers now. Doc Rivers in Clipperland. Doc Rivers in Clipperland, to me, definitely adds some intrigue to this basketball team. This is a team now adding a Jared Dudley, uh, adding a J.J. Redick, um, I look at this team, and I think, you know, it's essentially, I mean, Antoine Jameson, but how much does he have left? You know, Darren Collinson, bringing him in is big. A, a very good point guard in this league, solid point guard in this league. Um, but I look at this team, it's kind of the same roster. Um, I don't, to me, it comes down to what Blake Griffin has done in the offseason to get better. It, to me, it comes down to what DeAndre Jordan has done. Has he developed his low post game? What has DeAndre Jordan done in this offseason to get better? That's what I look at. You know what you're going to get from Chris Paul. Even though Chris Paul hasn't got out of the second round of the playoffs in his career, you kind of know what you're going to get. I look at this Clippers basketball team, and to me, what does Doc Rivers bring? Can Doc Rivers change the culture in Clipperland? How much does the culture change in Clipperland with Doc Rivers at the helm. How much does it change? How much does it change? That's going to be an interesting question, and that's something we're going to have to look at moving forward with the Los Angeles Clippers. But I don't see them being a threat to the Miami Heat. I don't see it. I could be wrong, but I don't see it. But Doc Rivers can change that. He's a game changer. We'll see if Doc Rivers can change what's going on in Clipperland. Oklahoma City Thunder. Uh, Oklahoma City Thunder. I look at this team. The Thunder, uh, you know, I, I said this before when they, when they made the trade, when they traded Russell Westbrook, brought in the Kevin Martin, Jeremy Lamb, brought in those guys to draft picks as well. And when they did it at the time, I wasn't in love with the move. Um, I, again, I'm one of these guys who believe that when you have an opportunity to do something, opportunity to win a championship, opportunity to be successful, and, and you have the pieces and the parts there, I think you go for it. I don't think you tinker with it 
And I don't think, you know, you, you say, you know what, let's make this move so we can protect ourselves financially moving forward and get something for James Harden moving forward and, and be able to ultimately replace that. I, don't, I mean, they weren't – I mean, they got production out of Kevin Martin, who now is gone. They, they, he's gone. And I thought, you know, if Westbrook could stay healthy, if Westbrook was healthy, OKC probably does get to the NBA Finals. I think they beat the Spurs and get to the NBA Finals. But I look at this team and, you know, is there anything coming off that bench? I mean, you had James Harden coming off that bench. You, you had instant offense and James Harden coming off that bench. The microwave, James Harden. I mean, he, he, he heated up and he came off the bench and he scored buckets. He got buckets for you. He got buckets for you. You saw that of James Harden. Do you see anybody on this bench that can come off the bench and do that? Reggie Jackson? I mean, is Reggie Jackson going to take that next step? I mean, you look at that lineup, it's Westbrook and Durant. Is there anybody in terms of a scoring standpoint that truly scares you? Ibaka, Perkins, obviously no. Cephalosha, I mean, he can hit the open three, but he really doesn't scare you. Maybe Ibaka does, you know, expands his offensive game, gets better on the offensive side of the basketball court. We'll see. But I look at this team, and Westbrook is going to be out four to six weeks. How much does that set this basketball team back? Is this basketball team good enough to keep things going and put themselves in a position where, you know, I mean, if Westbrook missed four to six weeks and you're not – playing your best of basketball, and you're losing some basketball games, maybe at that point you're not setting yourself up in terms of, of seeding in the Western Conference, and you're, not, you're going to miss out on, on, on home games in the later rounds when Westbrook does come back, and home games are big in the National Basketball Association. But I look at this team, and I question where the scoring is going to come from. I, I, well, Westbrook out. Where is the scoring going to come from? It's going to be Durant. And who else is going to step up to score the basketball? If Westbrook comes back, he's 100% good, then I, I think we have to look at the, the OKC as a team that could give the Heat problems and possibly could beat the Heat. But if, uh, the uncertainty with Westbrook and then the, the not having that scoring punch off the bench with Kevin Martin going, and now, first James Harden, now Kevin Martin, both gone. I have my questions about OKC. I have my questions. We'll see what they can be. But I don't think they're a team that can beat the Heat. Golden State, the Golden State Warriors, interesting basketball team, bringing in an Andre Iguodala, who is a do-it-all type of player. He's a do-it-all type of guy. Defense, lockdown type defender, can pass pretty well. He's that type of guy. He's definitely that type of guy. But bringing him now, bringing in a Andre Iguodala is big. I mean, Andre Iguodala is big, and we've seen the things that Andre Iguodala can do, and what he did for Denver. I mean, he was a big acquisition for the Denver Nuggets. He truly was. Now you're going to send him to Golden State, a team with one of the best shooting backcourts in the history of the game, and Clay Thompson and Stephen Curry. And, and then the team, Andrew Bogut. If Andrew Bogut can be that center that, that we've seen in, in Milwaukee, if he can be that guy, 
that's going to be big. And if Iguodala can continue to play the way Andre Iguodala can play and continue with that versatility and that do-it-all type of stuff, and then I had a David Lee also in that mix, a double-double machine, you have to say the Golden State Warriors are one of those teams in the Western Conference who possibly could get out of the Western Conference. Now here's the thing. Steph Curry, you know the ankle issues. Andrew Bogut, we know he has had a hard time staying healthy over the years. You look at Curry and Bogut, that's big. That's big. Those guys need to stay healthy. If all things being equal, if, if Golden State can stay healthy, this is a team that can make a run for the NBA Finals. This is a team that can make a Finals run. Not saying they are, but this is a team that can make a Finals run. I really do believe that when I look at the Golden State Warriors. I really do. And you have the Spurs, of course, the team who got there last season. Um, this is a team, obviously, if Tim Duncan can continue to play at the level he's played. And Ginobili, if he can continue to play just as good as he's played over the years. I mean, he had an awful NBA Finals. But, you know, take that aside. If he continue to play at a decent level, and obviously Tony Parker, a guy that many believe was on, a, on the verge of getting an MVP last season before he went down to injury, if they can get play out of those guys and those guys continue to play at a high level, I think – I think it's going to come down to me. I look at the Western Conference. I think it's going to come down to San Antonio and OKC again, if Westbrook is healthy. And I think you can talk about Golden State possibly as well. They're intriguing because they, they have some things that intrigue me. Of course, Steph Curry, of course, Andre Iguodala, and, of course, Andrew Bogut, and, of course, Clay Thompson as well. So they have some things that intrigue me. But my point in my question is health. Can Curry stay healthy? Can Bogut stay healthy? If those guys can stay healthy, then I, I think it's going to be an interesting situation. But, again, I think it comes down to Spurs and OKC again. And, again, I'm pointing to the health of Westbrook. I think if Westbrook is healthy, and, of course, going along with Durant, because you look at this team last season, I think they were on the verge of going to the NBA Finals. I'm not saying they want to beat the Miami Heat, but I think they probably would have went to the NBA Finals if Westbrook does not go down. But all things being equal, Westbrook is healthy, and if San Antonio's healthy, who do you favor? Who goes to the NBA Finals? First off, I think the Miami Heat goes out east, and I think that's kind of easy for all of us to, to say that. But I think, I think the Miami Heat get it done in the Eastern Conference. And I think the San Antonio Spurs get it done out west. I think we're going to see a rematch of last year's NBA Finals, and I think the Heat will find a way to win it again. I like the Heat to get the three-peat, and I like LeBron James. I don't think he'll win the MVP. I think somebody else will step up, but I do like, I think Tony Parker's actually going to get the MVP. I think, you know, we again, he was on the verge of an MVP-type season until he went out for a period of time. But if, I think he's going to step up and get the MVP this season. But I think the Miami Heat ultimately is going to three-peat. I'm I'm not necessarily banking on Greg Oden and Michael Beasley, but they're there. And if they have uh, a level of health, or in terms of Michael Beasley, if he can have, if he can be on the straight and narrow, he's talented. He has a lot of ability. He can play this game. He can score the basketball. I think, and, and just looking at it and looking at the Miami Heat, still have Ray Allen. 
and what we've seen what he can do in clutch situations as the San Antonio Spurs. But I think that the Miami Heat, with those additions and what they already have, and I believe Dwayne Wade will, will stay healthy and will not break down. Even in breaking down, the Heat still won. I think he'll, he'll, he'll even if he breaks down, I still think he'll have enough to get his team over. I like the Miami Heat to three-peat and beat the San Antonio Spurs in the NBA Finals. Another big storyline, Conan says he's Kobe Bryant. And what is going to happen with Kobe Bryant? When is he going to return? Not going to play the opener. I don't think he's going to return anytime soon. I mean, we're talking about an Achilles injury. And as I went through last week and looked at some of the players who, who've had Achilles injuries, their before and after has not been pretty. Dominique Wilkins has been only one of the select few who has matched his total uh, before the Achilles and after the Achilles. I mean, Dominique Wilkins is the only guy who really has one of the select few. I mean, Elton Brand, he was 20-10 before the Achilles. Afterwards, he was a shell of himself. I mean, Chauncey Billups, the, the, you know, obviously still yet to be written, but we've seen that he wasn't all that great last season for the Clippers coming off an Achilles. Isaiah Thomas, we looked at him coming off the Achilles. He never played again. He retired. So the list goes on and on, on and on of, of Achilles injuries and players before and after LaFonso Ellis. Remember him for the Devon Nuggets and it was not the same after his Achilles injuries. We've seen it. We, 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 we've seen what has happened to guys after, before and after. We've seen the before and after, and it has not been pretty. But as I said last week, and I'm going to continue with this, Kobe Bryant's one of those dudes who's cut from a different cloth. He's one of those dudes that until you, you see it, you got to believe it. That's the only way you'll see it. That's the only way in terms of doubting Kobe Bryant. Until you see it, that's the only way you can believe it. I, I look at that. I look at Kobe Bryant. That's that's what I see. Uh, until I see it, I can't definitively say that Kobe Bryant is not going to be the same player. I can't see it. I, I can't say it. And I know the odds are against him, his age and his Achilles. Those are things that are against him. Those are those are things that are against Kobe Bryant. But, but, even with that being said, even with age, this is Kobe Bryant we're talking about. This guy is a machine. This guy is, like I said, cut from another cloth. He, he just is. He's cut from something else, a special type of cloth. But I look at Kobe Bryant, and I think he's going to come back. I think he's going to be the Kobe. of. It's still going to be the same Kobe. And I think the Lakers are not going to be much better. But it depends on what they can do. If they can hold the fort down until the big guy comes back. If they can hold the fort down until the big guy comes back, then maybe the Lakers getting to the playoffs can do something. But the Lakers, I think, with the team they have, should be interesting. But I don't see them making the playoffs. I'm going to say Lakers don't make the playoffs. I think by the time Kobe comes back, probably going to be too late. I don't see them holding this fort down. I don't see the Lakers making the playoffs. But I think they've heard that a lot. And I think they're going to try to go out and prove everybody wrong. I don't think they can. I think the Mavericks, a team who missed the playoffs last season, it's going to be better. 
I think the Mavericks are going to be a better basketball team than last season. I, I like what they did in terms of bringing in a Monte Ellis, a Jose Calderon. I, I'm okay with what the Mavericks did. Monte Ellis is a flat-out scorer. He's a flat-out scorer. He can score the basketball. Having him now in the mix, Dirk, if he can stay healthy, it, Dirk is going to be Dirk, I believe. I like what the Mavericks have done. I really like what the Mavericks had done, and I think that's the team who missed the playoffs last year who's going to make the playoffs. Minnesota could sneak up and make the playoffs as well. So, I, I mean, I, I think, you know, the Lakers have a long road to help. And you look at that team a year ago, they barely made it to the playoffs. A lot, of, a lot harder to make it to the playoffs in the Western Conference than it is out east, but they barely made it to the playoffs of the Los Angeles Lakers. And that was with the services of Dwight Howard, Steve Nash. I mean, Dwight Howard and Kobe Bryant. And we don't know when we're going to see Kobe. And we don't. And obviously, we're not going to see Dwight again. So, I don't think the Lakers make the playoffs. I could be wrong, but I doubt it. Yeah, I don't. I don't see the Lakers making the playoffs. I really don't see it happening. I don't. But we'll see. We'll see what the Lakers can be without Kobe Bryant. We'll see what they can be without Kobe Bryant. They barely made it to the playoffs without Kobe last season. I think Dallas is going to be a better basketball team. I think Portland possibly gets better. Minnesota is going to be better. And even New Orleans possibly could be better with some of the moves that they made in this offseason, bringing in a Drew Holiday to go along with what they already have in Eric Gordon. You know, Anthony Davis, he's a year. Maybe he keeps a year better. Tyreek Evans is there as well. So New Orleans could actually be a better team than the Lakers when it's all said and done. So there's, a, there's some teams out west who I believe could be better than the Los Angeles Lakers when this thing is all said and done. But it's going to be a great NBA season. It's going to be an exciting NBA season. Tony Parker gets the MVP. San Antonio Spurs and the Miami Heat play in the NBA Finals. The Miami Heat, three-peat. They three-peat. Again, as long as Dwayne Wade is Dwayne Wade, LeBron James is LeBron James, I don't see any team out there that can beat the Miami Heat. I don't see it. When we come back, my take on 91 to nothing. You're listening to Go For It on Blog Talk Radio. Hello and welcome to Go For It, Donald Faison. Your Knicks have the best chance out east, though. I will say that. The Knicks have the best chance in the Eastern Conference to beat the Miami Heat. And the Knicks have had some success against the Miami Heat in the regular season, but... That doesn't mean anything in the playoffs, time. In the playoffs, time, it doesn't mean anything. I was trying to throw you a bone, man. I was trying to get your, nah. your hopes up. Come on, man. I'm a realist, too, man. <laughs> Actor Robbie Jones. Well, we know that, you know, we know that you can't can marry women. We've seen you, you, you have a pedigree. We see what you can do. We've seen it. I would never bring my wife around, too. I just don't know what you're capable of. Come on now. Come on now. That's early. That's not Robbie. That's called brother. All right. Sounds good. Thank you so much. You're very, very good at your job. Thank you, sir. Make it fun. You really do. (laughs) 
And we're back, trying to keep it fun, trying to talk sports and have fun doing it. 91 and nothing. As we saw in Texas, there was a parent after his team, after his son's team was beat 91 and nothing, that filed a complaint about bullying because his team, his son's team, lost 91 to nothing. And in this game, you have the coach of the, uh, of the team that scored the 91 points, Alito High School, and the coach who coaches Alito High School is the team, first of all, as averaging close to 60 points a game. So obviously they're, they're a machine. And in this particular ball game, what they did is, you know, they were up throughout the course of the game. They were blowing them out. Game wasn't even close. I mean... They were scored. They scored fifty six points at halftime. So it was, it, they scored fifty six. It was fifty six to nothing at halftime. And in the second half, the coach played second and third string players. And in that second half, he also had his players fair catch the bat of the football. And with all that being said, with all that being said, it, it's not a bullying situation. I think you know we we as America and our society have become ultra-sensitive when it comes to the word bullying. I mean, we, we hear bullying and, and we are so quick to just, you know, just an uproar. And you can understand it. I mean, we, we've seen situations where bullying has went too far. And you've seen that, you know, some individuals have, uh, uh, people have committed suicide, young kids have committed suicide because they were bullied and, and felt they, uh, you know, they felt bad about themselves for for many reasons, and they felt their only way out was suicide. And I get the sensitivity when it comes to bullying, but you know, sometimes when we when we are oversensitive to things, we have things such as this, and we're oversensitive to things. We 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 run into situations where. People start not to take certain situations as serious as they should, and I look at the whole situation with with this particular story in Texas, ninety one to nothing. I mean, let's be honest. The coach did what he could to try to limit the scoring, but one way you can stop yourself from being bullied in that particular situation is to stop the other team from scoring touchdowns. Obviously. They could not stop the other team from scoring touchdowns. 56 points in the first half, uh, you know, ultimately 91 points to end the game, 45 more points after halftime, and this is with second and third string. I mean, there's really nothing they could have done. I mean, 56 points at halftime, they probably could have scored. I mean, the coach said, Tim Buchanan, the coach of Alito High School, said Riley could have scored 150 points if they wanted to. And they probably could have. I mean, you know, 56 to nothing at halftime. And in the second half, you're, you know, the clock is running, continuous clock. I mean, there's really nothing that could have been done to prevent this from happening. Ultimately, the complaint was filed. The district had to look into it. The district did look into it. Ultimately, they found no bullying in this particular situation. Thank goodness. And I'm, I'm reading a poll on NPR.org. And I'm seeing, you know, 97% said that this was not bullying, and 2% said that it was bullying. And so, and 
in those 2%, it was 211 people who voted that it was bullying. I don't know where those 211 people, who those 211 people are, uh, but to me it's a little just ridiculous. That's not bullying. That 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 doesn't even clo- come close to bullying. He didn't even run up the score on these kids. He could have ran up the score to coach. He didn't even do that. He could do it easily, easily. He could have easily run up the score. Could have easily run up the score. He didn't do it. Second and third string guys there in that particular game. He put his second and third string guys in. And they could have easily have ran up the score. 56 points at halftime. 91 was all said and done. Could have been 100 plus points. Then I wonder what he would have did after that. I wonder what he would have did after that. It's crazy. Absolutely crazy. But thank goodness, thank goodness, no one made any more of the situation. And thank goodness it didn't lead to anything else. Because, I mean, we're, we're just, this is silly, you know, in this day and age. We're, 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 I, and I get it. I get it. I, I do get it. But, I mean, at this point, I mean, it doesn't seem, it's not real. It's like, it's just oversensitivity. For anybody to even make a complaint of that, it's just oversensitivity. And, again, if you want your kid, if you don't want to get beat 91 to nothing, then tell your kid to go out there and make a tackle. I mean, it's that simple. Tell your kid, tell your boy, son, make a tackle, make a play. If you're not going to make plays, they're going to score and score and score and score. Bottom line, son, make a play. Make a play. Obviously, they could not make a play. Let's go back to the National Football League now. Roger Goodell and the NFL players, well, Roger Goodell, I should say, not the NFL players, because you've seen a lot of players who come out against this. But Roger Goodell that says that he wants a team not only in L.A., which it should be. I mean, you look at how successful the NFL is, and they don't even have a team in L.A. That's crazy. I mean, the second largest market in in this country. And there's not even a football team there. But anyway, Roger Goodell says that he wants football not only back in L.A., but he wants football in London, a full-time team in London, and, you know, they're they're adding regular season games to the schedule in London. They're playing two more tomorrow. I mean, next season they're playing a game tomorrow in London. I I mean, I don't know logistically how you can make it work. I mean, you know, just flying all the way from, from London all the way back to the States. And then, you know, what happened? Do you give teams buys every time they go out to London? I mean, what what happens? What what can they do to make this work? I don't know what they can do to make it work, but obviously they're going to try to make it work. They're going to try to make it work. And here's the thing. I mean, right now they're just getting random teams pretty much going out there. But the thing about it is this. The thing about it is this. What if you have a team in London who's bad? And what if they're bad for one to two, three years? 
Um, obviously, if you have an expansion team, and, and you know, with with free agency and things of that nature, expansion teams can be good right away. But the, you're not going to expect playoffs right away. Not playoffs right away. And they and you talk about playoffs right away. Oh, well, that can be done if you draft correctly and you bring in the right players. And that's no guarantee you'll do that right. So what do you do? Do you bring an expansion team out there? Do you take a team that's possibly in Jacksonville who, you know, maybe do you take that Jacksonville franchise who's not having much success to move them out to to London? What do you do? I firmly believe that your first priority is to, first of all, get a team out in L.A. And Goodell says in any order, he's, he's not, there's no priority, it's not uh, L.A. first in London, it's no priority. Whatever happens first, happens first. So my thing with that is, if you're the, the NFL, to me, you have to go L.A. first, then London second. If you're going to do it, first of all, take care of the states. Take care of not having a football team in the second largest media market, which is LA. You need a football team there. Get a football team there, and then if you want to do London, think about London later. I don't think London's. I don't think it's a good situation. I don't think it's a. It's not like basketball, which is a national game. Soccer, which is a national game. We'll see if football can, you know, for uh, you know, brief sample size of one to two games per year, it's kind of easy to, to sell that out. And, again, there's really no formal allegiance to any of the teams. But if you go to a situation where you have, let's just say, a team that's bad uh, and, you're, you know, you got eight home games out in London and it's bad football, do you think people are going to consistently go out and pay money to see a, a game that's really not uh, a European game, it's an American game? Football is, uh, is an American game. Nobody else plays football in any other part of the world except for Americans. So I look at it and I'm saying this is a tough sell. I think it's a tough sell to the players. And I get, you know, you, you want to be revolutionary. You, you want to be on top of it. And the NFL is on top yards and yards and miles and miles ahead of, of any other sport. But the thing about it is, and I know you want to be cutting edge, you want to be on top of this and in front of things, but at the same time, even with all that being said, I, I, I know you want to be in front of things. I, I get it. And you want to find new revenue streams. But as far as I'm concerned, you got to be careful. And I don't know if a team – I think you might be asking a lot from your players to have them have a team stationed in London. I think you're asking a lot from the players. I, I really do. Whether it's they having – uh, players live in London. I mean, let's just say what you, you're. Let's just say you get traded uh, mid-season, or even in training camp or whatnot. I mean, let's just say you get traded, or you know, you need to pick up a player. You got to fly that player over the pond um, after they sign. You got you got that big long flight over the pond to jolly London, England, and I mean, it's just it's to me it would be a logistical nightmare. And, again, there's guys who, who make more money than I do and guys who are smarter than me that can try to figure out a way to make this work. But on the surface, I don't know how it can work. And, again, I think if you get a bad football team stationed in London, 
are the fans going to really go out and see bad football? Do they want to see a bad product? Because it's going to be a bad product if it's bad football, and people are not going to want to go out and see a bad product and bad football. I don't think people want to do it. I don't want to see it. I think it would be a bad idea. I hope it doesn't happen. I really do. I really hope it doesn't happen. Just like I hope an 18-game season doesn't happen. I hope none of these things happen. But it probably will. I wouldn't be surprised if there's a team in London. The NFL is not about player safety. The NFL doesn't care about its players. The NFL cares about money, strictly dollars and cents when it comes to the National Football League. It's all about dollars and cents. If it makes money, then it makes sense. Adding possibly another playoff game or playoff team, which would give you another playoff game, which would give you something else to sell to the networks, which in turn will give you money. I don't think it's a good idea. But financially, if it makes sense, it's going to happen. 18-game season. I don't think it's a good idea. These players are barely getting through a 16-game season. But again, if it makes money, they're going to find a way for it to make sense. If it makes money, they're going to find a way for it to make sense. Thursday night football. It's making money. Guess what? It's It's a bad product. Some bad games on Thursday night. It's some bad football on Thursday night football. It's not the best that we've seen in the National Football League in terms of quality. We have seen some quality football. Not on Thursday nights, we haven't. So, but Thursday night's football, it's financial. Who cares about the players? Who cares about the players? Who cares about health? When that lawsuit was on the table, the NFL started to care about health and made a conscious effort to at least give the perception that they care about the players. They don't care about the health of the players. They care about money. Thursday night football makes money, so therefore it makes sense for the NFL. Bad product or not, it's going to continue to happen. If it makes money, it makes sense. Let's stick with the NFL. St. Louis and Carolina... Last Sunday was was a a foul fist filled game, a fouled filled game. I mean, forty seven thousand dollars in total fines from that particular game. Forty seven thousand. Chris Long got the biggest fine, fifteen thousand for unnecessary roughness and also throwing a punch. Um, a lot of players got fined. Steve Smith, Brian Quick, seven thousand. 875, Harvey Dahl, 7,875, Mike Mitchell, same amount for taunting, a lot of money, a lot of money, a lot of money, a lot of money being put out there. And he has some players for the Redskins, 15,000 from Arakpo. You know who got signed fifteen thousand for rushing the pass, pat, roughing the passer. Excuse me. Jared Crick, Akeem Ayers, a few other guys roughing the passing uh, penalties, which cost them money. I mean, <clears throat> this is another thing that the NFL, that the players and fans 
or not liking about the NFL, some of the rule changes and, you know, protecting the player. Uh, a lot of people have an issue with that. But that's, that, that, was a, that was a rough game, and ultimately Sam Bradford, because of a hit out of bounds, ultimately ended his season. Ultimately ended his season. And speaking of, I want to go back to that situation for a moment. RG3. Remember? The Rams had a shot at RG3, you know. They had a shot at Robert Griffin III. They had a shot. And they decided that, you know what, let's trade this pick because we feel like Sam Bradford has what we need to be successful as a starting quarterback in the National Football League. He has what we need for him to be successful moving forward. And I look at it, and I say to myself, when you have an opportunity to, and I'm not saying Robert Griffin III was a surefire thing, and I think at this point there's still questions of whether or not Robert Griffin III is is a franchise quarterback. But judging by some of the things, the small, simple side that we've sized, that we've seen thus far Robert Griffin III, just going off that one year, and then some of the things we've seen to this point. Um, I think, looking at it, I think the Rams, I said at the time I thought maybe the Rams would would take Robert Griffin III, and I know they got a lot. They, they definitely got a lot in that particular trade. They definitely were able to, to get some things. I mean, Michael Brockers, Janoris Jenkins, Isaiah Peed, uh, Rakevius Watkins. I mean, they got some things. And also this year, um, Alec Ogletree, Stedman Bailey, Zach Stacy. I mean, so they're, they're getting depth and they're getting some players to help them moving forward. But at this point, who wins championships in this league? Who? What, what is the most important position in the National Football League? Probably the quarterback. And with that being said, well, you got, and I understand at the time they thought that Sam Bradford would be their guy. Maybe they thought he would be their guy. But at the same time, you look at it, who knows? I mean, the Redskins are not that great this season, and they probably will not make the playoffs. So this could be the year that the St. Louis Rams get their quarterback. I mean, they got the number six and number 39 picks in 2012, got number 22, number 22 pick in, in 2013, and they get the first-round pick in 2014. So looking at it, they have an opportunity, because I don't think the Redskins are going to make the playoffs, they have an opportunity now to possibly get the quarterback of the future. Could be Bridgewater. Um, could be Mariota. Could be Hundley. I mean, it could be Manziel. All I'm saying is they have an option. They have options. And I, I came into this argument thinking, okay, maybe this was a bad move by the St. Louis Rams not to go after RG3 and get their quarterback of the future. But 
if they're able to ultimately get that quarterback of the future next season, which is very possible in this 2014 draft, it's very possible that the St. Louis Rams could get their quarterback of the future, then I'd have to say that you have to say advantage Rams. But then I have to say at the end, probably no one has an advantage because the Redskins got their franchise quarterback. And thus far, he seems like he is going to be a franchise quarterback. And then the St. Louis Rams got some depth, got some players to solidify their defense. And then maybe this year will be the year to get their franchise guy. They'll find their franchise quarterback. This could be the year they do it. So when it's all said and done, it probably will just work out for both teams. I think RG3 is going to be a very good quarterback in this league. I think he is a franchise caliber quarterback. Still has some proving to do. Still has some proving to do. But we'll see what happens. He has proven to this point after one season. hasn't proven definitively, but we've seen a lot of glimpses that when it's all said and done, RG3, Robert Griffin III, is and will be the franchise guy for the Washington Redskins. We shall see. It should be very, very interesting how this thing plays out. And, I mean, we can make a decision at this point, but it should be very, very interesting to see how this whole thing plays out moving forward. Very interesting. Because at this point, you have to say, it becomes inconclusive. It, it, we have to say that at this point, because of what the Rams can do in 2014 in terms of draft picks and things of that nature, we have to say at this point it is inconclusive. It is inconclusive. And we'll see what happens. We'll definitely see what happens how this thing plays out. Again, if the Rams can get that franchise guy in 2014, which is very possible, which is very possible, if they can get that franchise guy in 2014, then it's all been a good thing. This trade has turned out great. And let's just say RG3 falls on his face. You have to say the Rams win this trade if they can find that franchise guy. Even if they don't find that franchise guy, if RG3 falls in his face, he's not a franchise quarterback, and the Rams have, would have gotten the better of this deal. We'll see. We'll see how it shakes out moving forward. About one minute left in the show. You can listen to this show and other great shows at blogtalkradio.com slash pgan where you can listen to this show and other great shows. Make sure you follow us. On Twitter, at GoForItGant, G-O-F-O-R-I-T-G-A-N-T. Follow us there on Twitter. Also, you can hit us up on YouTube, our YouTube channel, youtube.com slash user slash GoForItGant, which is G-O-F-O-R-I-T-G-A-N-T. You can follow us there as well. Got some great videos up there of past interviews, good stuff there. So, again, you can listen to this show and other shows, blogtalkradio.com slash pgant. You can follow us on Twitter at GoForItGant, G-O-F-O-R-I-T-G-A-N-T. Also, also hit us up on our YouTube channel, youtube.com, slash user, slash GoForItGant, G-O-F-O-R-I-T-G-A. 
and T. For everybody here at Go For It, we hope you have a great weekend, great day, and we'll see you again here next week, next Saturday, talking sports and having fun doing it. See you later. Take care. Bye. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather now at ChompaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. VDW Group, no purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. See terms and conditions, 18 plus.